0: Thank you. Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with statistical seismologist, Dr. Lucy Jones. Welcome back to all our regular listeners. We're glad you're here with us today. And to those who are listening for the first time, welcome. This podcast is a project of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society and is supported by individual sponsors. Whether you're a first-time listener or a regular, would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 a month? Because that's how it continues to be there for you week after week. It's simple, go to patreon.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And now let's get to it. Lucy, one of the purposes of this podcast is to help people get through the disasters they might face. And one of the disasters you are most familiar with and that we talk about a lot is earthquakes. It's one of the natural hazards that we fear most right after tsunamis and right alongside volcanoes. One of the basics that we need to understand about earthquakes and for managing the risk is understanding how big they can be, the actual risk. That's what magnitude gives us.
1: Well, magnitude tells us how big the total earthquake is, but it doesn't tell you what's happening to you.
0: True, actually in episode 16, we did talk about the difference between magnitude and intensity and magnitude is one size for the earthquake and intensity is the shaking that you feel where you are.
1: But in fact, magnitude does matter to you, just perhaps not the way you think. A bigger earthquake is affecting a larger area, which changes how the government responds. Magnitude also tells us how often a quake will happen. We know that we get 10 times as many earthquakes for each one unit of magnitude smaller. For every five, we have 10 fours, 100 threes, et uh, And the magnitude of a main shock tells us approximately how many aftershocks we're going
0: to be having. So it does give us some useful information. We're used to hearing about magnitude and then hearing that it's been downgraded though, right? I remember back in Northridge, back in 1994, the magnitude actually moved around. Sometimes it was a 6.7, sometimes it was a 6.8, sometimes it was 6.9, and it it went around for a couple of weeks until we finally had like an accurate number.
1: Right, and and this is something that has changed with time. So let's, let's look at a little history here. Of course, once upon a time, we only had intensity. What did somebody feel when they went through the earthquake? Richter came along and said, let's create a concept that's about the earthquake itself. Richter came along and said, I'm seeing people in Inglewood and Pasadena feeling the same earthquake and describing it in very different ways. I want them to understand that those different experiences are still the same earthquake. So he came up with magnitude. Now, he did it completely empirically and arbitrary. He was actually trained as as an astronomer. So he borrowed the concept from magnitude of stars. And he defined it by measuring the single largest swing of a seismogram needle on the seismogram. There's a certain amount that the ground moved at its peak. He took the logarithm of that and of that movement just at the one moment. Right? and use that to scale it and scale with how far away you were from the earthquake. But it's all arbitrary. You know, Magnitude three means a certain motion at a distance of 100 kilometers. That's it. And if the earthquake lasts for a longer time, we aren't able to see that. So we weren't measuring the largest earthquakes accurately. For instance, the 1964 earthquake in Alaska moved a 1,000 kilometer long fault and lasted for seven minutes but it showed up as a magnitude 8.5 with that single largest swing, which is not much bigger than the San Francisco earthquake that only in 1906, that it only lasted for a bit more than a minute.
0: So the measurements are just as much for the public as they are for the scientists, right? To understand what's happening.
1: Right, the original definition was actually for the public and then we found there were other uses for it. But the whole thing of doing these Empirical scales, they're non-physical. It's it's just a way to say this is bigger than that. This one is scarier than that one. It helps us manage it if we can put it into a box. Now, the scientists could see that it was important because it was helping us describe a lot of what happens during an earthquake. The fact that we see so many more small ones and, and various other properties, but we didn't like it because it wasn't a physical measurement.
0: Do you think maybe this is why the Richter scale gets so much play? People found it to be useful to be able to put a name and describe something and we don't care about how you get the number, just that we can relate to it as non-scientists.
1: I think that's right. But, you know, for a scientist, we needed a tool to quantify a lot of aspects of earthquakes and relate them to the geologic processes that are that they are originally arriving from that are the fundamental driving forces behind these uh, physical phenomena. This whole thing changed in the 1960s. Professor Aki came along and he defined a concept called seismic moment. It was defined from physically what happened on the fault, that you have an area of a fault that moves and you have one side that moves past the other, and he defined the moment to be that area times that amount of slip. But he also showed that we could calculate it from a seismogram. Not by using that single largest swing, like we did with magnitude, but rather integrating over the whole seismogram, looking at all of the energy that uh, is released during the event.
0: So you're saying we solve two issues with the use of seismic moment, that we can capture all the energy released in the biggest earthquakes that was lacking in the Richter scale, and we have a physical quantity that is measured, not just an arbitrary scale.
1: Right, so with a physical quantity measuring what happens on the fault and something that we can determine from seismograms, we now have a physical understanding of what's going on, and it's something that we can extend back to older earthquakes and figure out their size, even though we don't have seismograms. You know, we'll talk about the 1857 earthquake as having been a magnitude 7.8, and people go, how do you know that? Scientists love it. The only problem with it are the units. I mean, if you talk about Northridge, that was a earthquake that released 1.2 times 10 to the 21st Newton meters. I have tried describing that in a soundbite, and let me tell you, it doesn't work.
0: What do the scientists actually say then? How do we how do we solve this issue of the of the Newton meter issue?
1: We came up with the idea of moment magnitude. We made the assumption that the public understands magnitude at least better than these weird units. And then we took a bunch of earthquakes for which we had magnitudes, and we made these moment calculations and came up with a scaling function. And to make the scaling work, each unit of magnitude increases the moment by a factor of 10 to the 1.5 power. That's about 32 times because 10 to the 1.5 is 10 to the third power, 1,000. Take the square root. That's 32. It's completely arbitrary. It's just the best fit to the old magnitude relations. But you know, because we thought people understood magnitude, this put it into relatable terms. Um, I argue we never understood magnitude at any deep level. And trying to explain a 3 halves power doesn't make it very much more accessible.
0: Recognizing that people have a gut feeling about magnitude without a deep understanding of the quantities involved, how should people react when they hear magnitude?
1: With a grain of salt. You know, if we go back to your original question, why did the magnitude of Northridge change so much? Back then, we didn't have a fast way to calculate moment magnitude. It took us months to get all that information, and we were using many different ways of trying to estimate it. Now, the very first magnitude you hear is still not moment magnitude because we have to wait for the whole seismogram to be recorded to be able to calculate that accurate picture of how much energy is in the whole seismogram. So the first number you hear still comes from that uh, largest single swing. Um, moment magnitudes usually available within about 10 minutes probably takes somewhat longer for a really big earthquake. So when you hear the very first magnitude, no, that that's a preliminary estimate, so we don't have to make you wait. And you know, after 15, 20 minutes, you can be pretty sure that what you're hearing is what's gonna stick. The second thing to remember though, when you hear that magnitude is just remember that the size is going up as 10 to the three halves power for each unit of magnitude. That's about a factor of 32. Two units is 32 times 32 or a thousand times bigger. The big San Andreas earthquake, which is gonna be somewhere like 7.7 to 8, is going to be 30 to 100 times bigger than Northridge, depending on exactly how big it is. All that energy is going to be released, but over a longer time and a bigger area than we saw in Northridge. And going back to our most feared disaster, tsunamis. The size of the earthquake is telling you the volume of rock that moved in the quake And if it's underwater, that is the volume of water that gets displaced and put into the tsunami. So the biggest earthquakes are moving much more water and have a much bigger impact in the tsunamis.
0: So the bottom line here is that giving a name to something and a value helps us cope with what it is. It removes the abstract nature that makes it more uncertain and therefore more fear inducing. And we don't have to make it up. The units are based in the physical attributes of the earthquake. Could we do it in a less complicated way? Probably. But fundamentally, understanding that magnitude represents a value that helps each of us understand what we have or might be experiencing. We could go on a lot longer on this topic, but we'll have to stop here today. Until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a sponsor at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.